Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made by your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to another episode of Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a merce, and I love films. As Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, every artist was first an amateur. And can you believe the price of popcorn today? Honestly, it's criminal if you ask me. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, and then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Ricky Gervais, Catherine Ryan and Leslie Headland. But this week, my special guest is superstar writer, creator and producer, Bill Lawrence. Listen up, we've got some live shows. I will be performing last year's stand-up show, What Is Love, Baby Don't Hurt Me, for one week at the Soho Theatre from May the 6th to May the 11th. So go to the website for tickets for that. And the next live Films To Be Buried With podcast will be on April 7th at the Brighton Podcast Festival. And my guest will be Chibadi G himself. It's Mr. Asim Chowdhury. Do not miss either of these things. Follow me on Twitter at Brett Goldstein and on Instagram at Mr. Brett Goldstein to keep up to date with all the live shows and my stand-up gigs. If you do enjoy the show and you want more and you want to support it and get more content, please come and join me over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you'll get extra guest questions, videos, guest list tickets, recommendations, all sorts of stuff. This week, there's a full extra 20 minutes of chat with Bill, and you don't want to miss it, I assume. And remember, best of all, if you do become a Patreon member, not only do you get loads of extra good stuff, you don't even have to hear this bit about becoming a Patreon member. You get the episode completely unencumbered by ads and me talking about stuff like this. Give it a look over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. So, here we go. Episode 35. Bill Lawrence is a true hero and legend of TV. He made Scrubs, he made Spin City, he made Cougar Town, he made Clone High, he made Whiskey Cavalier, he made loads of things, and he is that rare thing. He is a modern-day creator who can make comedy that fits into the mainstream, often on network TV, that is also really fucking good. I worked with him on a pilot last year, and I genuinely think he's one of the greats. I was very grateful to go to his house in LA to record this one, and I think you're going to love it. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 35 of Films to be Buried With. I didn't know you were a movie nerd. You know, I'm a movie nerd. I just knew you was a stand-up and a, a TV actor oh, this is and a writer, but you're a movie nerd. Oh, yeah. Fucking love him. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm another level movie nerd. Oh, this is great. Yeah. 
Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. My name is Brett Goldstein. I am joined today by a actor, a stand-up, <laughs> a writer, sure. a showrunner, sure. a husband, yep. a father, a basketball player, yep. a stuntman, yep. and a creator of so many shows, including, let's call it what it is, at least two of the greatest TV shows of all time. Please, welcome to the show. Also, by the way, he doesn't like compliments, so he'll have hated this. Please, welcome to the show. It's Bill Lawrence. Hey. That probably made me so uncomfortable. You know me well enough. It made me look at my feet. I thought this is a terrible way to open for you. You're going to go right angry. <laughs> it was like immediately nice. upset. Do people know when you have drinks in your hand on this show or you just have to tell them? I'm going to tell you the, the truth to the audience and to you. This is the first podcast I've recorded where we're getting drunk while we do it. Uh, cheers to you, man. Cheers. It's good to see you. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, Bill has very kindly invited me to his house. It is an absolute dump as expected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I know, Bill, I did a pilot. Uh, for Bill, it was the best pilot that I ever read or worked on. It didn't get picked up, and it it's made very funny. Me hate the industry. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever see it? You saw it. Yeah, it was really good. Fucking excellent. Yeah, yeah. it just wasn't network TV stuff, man. It was too heady. It was funny. It's too good. <laughs> too good for network. Anyway, I have many things to ask you and talk to you about, uh, but thank you for having me. And today is the day before, the night before, the premiere of your new show, Whiskey Cavalier. Oh yes. Thank Which you for I mentioning it. Watched last night, and it is excellent. Oh, thanks. It's fun, man. Look, it's um, we're talking about movies. We so bad we wanted to make a TV show that felt like those popcorn movies that they don't make anymore. Yeah. Now everything's got to be a superhero or a cartoon or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, I hope people dig it. It's fun. It's like a sexy eighties action romance. Sexy eighties moonlighting. That's what Sex, we're doing. exactly what it is. <laughs> I was going to say that. Hey, moonlighting, spy versus spy. Yes. That's what we wanted. Look, it was so funny because uh, Scott, who's the lead of the show, is a, a buddy of mine. And we wanted to do that. And we don't even mind. It's got mostly good reviews. But, the, you know, when we pitched it, we're like, hey, we're going to do Moonlighting, Heart to Heart, Spy versus Spy. Those shows aren't yeah. on. And, you know, people could use a show that's just fun. And uh, one of the most negative re- reviewers was like, uh, uh, this show's just heart, heart to Heart or Moonlighting all over again. <laughs> you were like, we were like yes. thank you. <laughs> He was like zero stars. And we're like, not to us. Four stars. It's really good. And it also, I have many things to talk to you about, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would like to be a little bit um, uh, inside baseball. Sure. To use an American reference. Yes. Um, one thing I think that you're excellent in, in all your shows as a, as a sort of piece of writing is how quickly you set up characters and scenes. Like the problem with network TV, I think, as I discovered when we did the pilot, is that you've got so many ad breaks and stuff has to be so short. Everything yeah. is so short. But you in particular get really funny stuff and really good characters and really good plot in a very short space of time. Is there a trick to it or are you just naturally good at that? There is a trick, there is a trick to it. The biggest trick that you'll see in a lot of shows is voiceover. Uh, I didn't do it in the yes. particular one you've seen because it's an hour long. Most half-hour network shows, if they have voiceover, have it. So they can get all the stuff out of the way that the network makes you do. Uh, uh, my family didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up in Kentucky in a small town that only had one school and no main street. Cut you know? to yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? And so uh, that's one of the tricks. No, but the, the biggest thing is in the comedy especially, we did it in, in Spaced Out a little bit in mm. your show, 
is to try and come up with character jokes in the first episode. And I remember yours was, uh, this will seem like nothing, but your character, have a seat, either chair, yeah. and the kid picks a chair and you immediately say, not that one. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that's not a huge joke, yeah. but it immediately tells me a lot about the character you're playing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And how caught he is in his head and how OCD he is. So that's the game to it. I think the first thing that comes out of people's mouth, too easy to just make it funny in our 21-minute world, mm. has to say something about their sensibility and who they are. Yeah, and your, uh, your uh, scrubs, if I may, sorry to say that it, I love it so much. Oh, it's so I nice. don't upset you. But I always thought the, my theory on it is, and, is that you've, you had a game. You know in improv there's find the game. Yeah. You had a game for every character. Every side character had a game. Yes. And in a way, in a brilliant way, every week was, let's see that game, but in a different way. It is, it is without a doubt. The, I was talking to one of the writers on. It's going to make me feel old, but one of the writers on Scrubs, uh, uh, who we're doing a show with, met me today, and we had a coffee. And he, I make everybody do these things on shows called the Character Board, and it bores everybody to tears. But it's when you start a new show. Mm-hmm. Once it's picked up, if, if Space Out had been picked up, we would do this. And then we say we started with your character, and we wrote. Brett and Leon or whatever his name ended up being. The, uh, <laughs> it changed like the time I know. Before. And then we would, uh, we would put you with each character and I would make people sit around for a day on each dynamic and say, what's oh, your relationship great. to him? You know, and, uh, which it's, and if you can do it in two or three words, yeah. I know we can carry it through that year. So what's your relationship to him? What's your relationship to her? Is Tuesday, Wednesday is what's your relationship to this other regular Thursday is what's your relationship to this other regular? And then even if we don't get to one of those stories, when we do around episode five, six, or seven, it, every writer has those three words, um, contentious, arrogance versus humility, you, you know what I mean? And yeah. knows what the dynamic is. So I do that for all my shows. And what you'd be surprised on in, in TV is the amount of people... I always say that the biggest mistake you can make as a, a comedy writer especially is if you've written a show that anybody can say, um, hey, this character hasn't spoken in this scene, so let's just give her that joke that he said up here. Yes. That means you didn't make their voices different. You didn't do the work yes. of what makes people different. Right? So that's Which the game. like in uh, stand-up, I think if you – the way I look at stand-up is you have to be – unique enough that no one else can do your jokes yes if they can say your lines then you've you've fucked it <laughs> i i think i told you that I, when i knew i wasn't gonna be as good a stand-up as you uh and others uh was uh i was doing uh, you know i went to college at a tourist town in colonial williamsburg where there's a college called william and mary and so they had a huge comedy club and i was the local guy that you know you got 10 minutes and then you hosted and i was just getting slaughtered one weekend yeah, sorry, how old were you at this point in doing stand-up? Uh, 20, 19, okay. 20, sophomore, junior in, high, in college. Right. And, uh, uh, and I still did it after this, which is insane. But uh, um, I was getting slaughtered, and a, <laughs> uh, uh, Sunday night, you know, in February in, in Virginia, there was nobody at the club. And I'm like, I don't know if I can go up for 40 people and just get killed again. And a friend of mine who was a theater major was like, if you want, I'll go up and do your set, because he had seen it a lot. Yeah. And he went up and did much better than I did with my own stuff. Yeah. And uh, I said, look, here's the good thing is it's, I'm a very good writer. Yeah. And the bad thing is 
I mean, he's not a comic, and he just killed me performance-wise. <laughs> so upset. <laughs> yeah, it's good uh, and bad. Uh, two other things I would like to say to you. Uh, one is, when we did uh, the pilot, this is a sort of spoiler for people, I suppose, but you set an amazing set, like the vibe that you set on set and oh, from day cool. one, and you said, no dickheads, and I was like, good. And you said something, and, and I think this is to do with... Uh, depends on the actors that you've worked with, but you said, I don't want any of the actors going back to their trailers. I want you to hang out with each other. I want you to be friends. It's important. Yeah. And I love all that. And it's like, that was really great. But the other thing I noticed about you, if I may, sure. is, uh, and I wondered if this is natural or this is because you've done so much of this, but you're like an ideas machine. And there was one scene that we did that sort of was like plotty, but didn't really have a joke in it. When we came to sort of stage, it was like, there's not really a joke in the scene. And you just sort of wandered in, picked up a prop from somewhere, <laughs> turned it into this thing about a like stupid hat that suddenly the whole scene was now about a stupid hat. And it was really funny. And it was like, how the f- you just had... And I wondered if that is... Because you've done so much of this, your your brain is used to coming up with new shit. You know what? It's, it's my, natural. No, it's one of uh, my uh, favorite parts of doing television. You're a comic. Mm-hmm. How much fun is it to sit around and riff with people? Yeah. Right? And uh, all my shows that have worked, I, I try to create an environment that you have a written script and then you go and rehearse stuff and you can tell if you're funny when there's, not the, there's no funny there. Yeah. I, I think too often people just say, well, at this point, we just got to shoot it. <laughs> I would, you know, and yeah. to me, I like the game of, no, man, we need to come up with something funny. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be in, the, in Spaced Out, there's one scene that didn't have any funny and I knew it would be funny the second Donald Faison started eating an apple. I don't know if yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, That's always going to happen. And uh, uh, I love trying stuff. I think that the biggest part of it for a lot of showrunners is putting your ego aside mm-hmm. and uh, realizing that part of it is acknowledging that what you gave people to perform is not great. Right, and, right. Uh, and then going, hey, we're a team. Let's... Let's try something else uh, uh, immediately and uh, uh, feeling good if you get anywhere. Yeah. But uh, the B-side is so many writers have gone on podcasts and made fun of me because they said <laughs> one of Bill's biggest tricks is that I am obsessive, that I'll look at scenes the night before that I think might not be funny enough or might not have a great moment. And I will have come up with stuff already that I will have shared with writers. And then I will sometimes in these situations, I don't know why I'm divulging this. Sometimes in these situations when people say this isn't working, I'll be like, I have an idea that I'm coming with, up with right now in this very moment that I didn't write last night and tell 10 people about. <laughs> what, if we, yeah, what if we tried this? And be like, oh my God, I can't believe he came up with that. The person from craft services goes, he told me about this last night. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of tricks to it as well. It's sort of the last thing I said this because I know I know you get a couple, but like you know you're a big guy as in successful and, sure. and uh, big leagues of this. Are you sort of used to that? Was it ever because you did Spin City quite young, right? You were... I did. You know, I got very lucky in that I think um, the ultimate gift in entertainment, and, and you'll have to tell me if you have one, is to have a mentor of any kind, right? And you know, it's really been something on my mind lately because you know I consider myself an extremely open-minded person but then I constantly go yeah you know in most of my life the people I've mentored are the ones I'm comfortable with 
which are like me, and I'm a guy's guy. Right, right, and right. then when people are like, hey, you know, like one of my jokes I've been doing when I've occasionally gone up and done stand-up is there's, right now in Hollywood, there's a lot of uh, young male white comedy writers complaining uh, about how hard it is for them to get a job. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys had a good run. <laughs> and I'm one of us. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. we're fine. We yeah. had our time. You know, and the, the point is, you know, a lot of people in a great way are mentoring young women and young diverse writers and uh, performers from everywhere. But the point of this is I got mentored by a guy named Gary Goldberg who yes. um, created Family Ties and Brooklyn Bridge and mm-hmm. all these shows and gave me permission as a 25-year-old wow. to talk to actors like Mike Fox and Barry Boswick and yeah. Connie Britton and Carlton, all these people, as if they had to listen to me. And it was a, it was a true gift. I mean, he taught me, you're, the best mentors teach you maybe 80% what to do and 20% uh, um, you don't want to lead by their example. You know what I mean? Uh, right, you yeah, learn yeah, what yeah. not to do by how they behave and yeah. what to do. And he was great because he... Uh, I got a lot of great things from him, and I think his flaws, of which we all have, and I'm sure I'm passing on flaws to yeah. the kids I've mentored, uh, I've been able to stay away from. So I guess you're not going to tell me what his 20% was. Mm, you know what? Uh, no. Okay. I'm going to remember him because he passed a couple of years, like oh, about two years ago. No. Okay. And, uh, uh, but I will tell you this. Mm-hmm. My flaws. Uh, yes. All uh, right. <laughs> Take okay, them. So, and some of uh, one of my flaws that's not a flaw, mm-hmm. uh, we've already spoken about, will give you a hint of maybe what one of his was. I don't care about credit. Like, I don't right. care if somebody, I, I've co created very su- successful shows. Something a lot of people don't know. If you as a writer come to me because I have an overall deal, like a sports contract with a studio, yeah. and uh, uh, you say, let's do this pilot together. If I say that we co write it, that pilot, yeah. my name goes on it. It's co-written by Brett and Bill. Yeah. I don't get any more money because I have an overall deal. I get paid the same no matter what. Oh, right. All that does is you get 50% less money. And oh, so shit. for me, yeah. I would rather you get all the dough because it doesn't change my life at all. And all that happens to me is my name isn't, you know, what in the pilot episode, it doesn't say written by Brett and Bill. What do I care? So your floor is you're the greatest guy in the world. <laughs> no. That's not my flaw. That's yeah, something that's that I might have learned oh, okay. from a mentor I that see. cared about okay. credit. Yes. Like yes. if I say, uh, when people go, Aaron Sorkin, um, oh my God, his name is on um, every episode of West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My name could be on every episode of Spin City. I could get a rubber stamp made and just do that. <laughs> right. That's what showrunners do. Yeah. That's a choice. Okay. It's a choice that doesn't make you more money but it gets you more credit. Interesting. All right, so. Yeah. All right, so, no, but what my issue is, is uh, we already joked about it. I call it the lateral punch down, and I've right. had to fight my instincts that I like my own voice better than other people's voices, okay, <laughs> which is a problem for all of us. And I've luckily surrounded myself with people that aren't sycophants that will occasionally go, are we really sitting here for an hour so you can change a joke that's good to a joke that's just as good that you wrote, and then I—that's my go, yeah, that's yeah, what that's we're what doing. We're going <laughs> <laughs> to do it for like ten more minutes, and then we'll move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, Bill, fuck, I forgot to tell you something. Yeah, go. Oh, shit, I should have told you when I got here. It's really bad. Is it good? Uh, depends on your point of view. Yeah. I don't think it's good. For, I don't know how you're going to feel about this. Yeah. 
I should have said it at the door. It's rude that I've come in your house and I didn't tell you this earlier, but I'll just say it. Fuck. All right, I'll just say it. Uh, you've, you've died. You've died. Oh, oh, that's so upsetting. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. I had <laughs> You're no idea. it very well. I had no idea. Yeah. How did you die? What happened? You know what, by the way, is yeah. uh, in my heart of hearts, mm-hmm. I died that my secret fantasy my entire life this has is the place to, for it. Yes, has has been to be the uh, when I was a mediocre comic, I got signed by managers yeah. that manage all comedians, and uh, they said, uh, you know, we're going to really build you towards creating TV shows. You're a very good writer, and I said that's a great idea, but I'm going to be a talk show host. And so I don't know if you know this, but that the way that I died because I'm I've in, intentionally ingratiated myself to Jimmy Kimmel and Conan O'Brien, who I'd call both friends. Right. And guys that I like, and eventually, in a very good way, uh, one of them is going to ask me just as a goof to sit in for them and uh, uh, host the show. I'm only going to do one episode. Yeah. It won't be even up for debate that I was better than them, if not better than anyone. Yeah. But I will. I will die immediately after the show. <laughs> what will you die from? I will prob- by the way, I don't shook. care. I want to. This is the weird okay. thing. I was obsessing about how I'm going to die. I don't want to die on camera, but uh, and I'm healthy, so I don't think it's a heart attack. But I think that the best thing for me personally yeah. would be to leave their soundstage and do it with humility, and people going like, "Oh, that was great. That was fun." Yeah. And then I walk outside, and then my agent calls and says, "You were so good at that that CBS, NBC, everybody wants you to do it for real." Yeah. And then before I answer, I get hit by a bus. A, a uh, backstage bus. Yeah, a uh, backstage zooming, tour, uh, bus. tour bus. <laughs> well, that's Bill tour, Lawrence. The last, right. thing, the last thing I hear is that's Bill Lawrence. Uh, but, uh, it's a great death. Oh, my God. Come on. And uh, by the way, no one will ever know if it was just a one-hit wonder. But people will talk about no one ever did a better episode of a talk show than Bill did that one. It doesn't even matter who the guests were. On your gravestone, it will say he died as he lived doing a talk show. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly doing People a talk show. People will be show. like, remember Bill Lawrence, that amazing talk show guy? <laughs> he died doing the talk show that no one knew they were yeah. on. Wow, that's great. Do you worry about death? I don't. No? Nah. Never? Um, you want to know something that really annoys all my friends? Yeah. All right. Of course I do. Uh, I have, since I was 18, mm-hmm. I jokingly came up with a life because people used to, it, it's senior year when you write your um, your thing in your high school yearbook in America, yeah. you know, what your life philosophy was. Uh, I wrote, uh, everything goes my way. And uh, uh, the, well, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> I've said it whenever anybody asks me like, what's your like kind of life belief? I go, everything goes my way. And they think I'm being annoying. Yeah. But I really believe it's like Oprah-like shit yeah, that yeah. I'm putting it out there. And I've honestly always believed, like uh, the, the first time it was tested, I got hired to write on Friends the very first year. Wow. I did very well on that show. I did not get along with uh, one of the showrunners, and I was fired um, right when the show was the number one show on Earth. And by the way, I look like Matt Perry. We were friends. I wrote yes, so many of his jokes. And uh, uh, and by the way, this is how life goes. People are like, hey, you're like Matt's skinny younger brother. You're like his fatter older brother. You're like his fatter younger brother. You're like his skinnier older brother. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, 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 when I got fired, I was fetal for a couple days, you know, and because yeah. the show was huge. And, um, and that was your first job, was it? No, I uh, had a couple. It was the first big job. Okay. Um, 
but I did my everything goes my way thing. Mm-hmm. Set to my friends, I'm like, this shit's happening for a reason. Everything goes my way. And uh, one of the showrunners, a guy named David Crane, uh, who I did have a good relationship with, uh, called up Gary Goldberg and said, we didn't mesh with Bill Lawrence, but I think you'll really like him. And Gary, who I had never met, yeah. Um, immediately invited me over to play basketball, which I play, and he still played. Yeah. And uh, within three weeks, I was I was a staff writer on the first DreamWorks sitcom. It was Gary's show called Champs. And six months after that, we created Spin City together. You got fired from friends so you could create Spin City. Yes. Everything goes your way. Everything goes my way. Can I ask you a question? Yes. That philosophy. Yeah. Do you know where it started, where it came from, where you taught that? Is that was that? Uh, I really believe my, – my father is – I have a very close relationship with my dad. My parents are still together and they're lovely folks. I've met them. They are lovely. They're good people. Yeah. And uh, my dad used to spit out these platitudes that I really embraced. And one of them that I still remember was, uh, don't worry about the weather. And I used to stand outside um, when I had a baseball game in the afternoon and it was supposed to rain and I'd be so upset – yeah. And, uh, you know, be staring at the sky and he'd say, don't worry about the weather. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really, you know, if it rains, he's like, I'm, it's a, he's like, it's a bigger thing than that. I mean, don't worry about things you can't control. Yeah. So he was actually, even as a kid yeah. teaching me these things and he's, he instilled this stuff in me. Everything goes my way. I don't really mean it. I don't mean I'm the luckiest yeah, guy yeah, on the planet. Yeah, yeah, but I know what you mean. But so- I do mean that if you honestly believe that, what he's really saying is you can turn a negative into a positive. Yeah. How many times do we get dumped and crushed by somebody or does a, you know, a relationship fall apart or a job go away? Yeah. It takes you a while, but then you go, oh, this is an opportunity. I can do this thing that I've always wanted to. Yeah, so I don't mean it. it I, the reason I made it sound so arrogant and cocky is that it bugs my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's great. I'm trying to think. I think, unfortunately, I might have been raised like, everything, <laughs> just be careful. Do you, <laughs> we'll what, do you know what's become fun? Is right. uh, the amount of stories, look, it's not a true prophecy, but the amount of stories that have been enhanced by the fact that I'll say that out loud mm-hmm. and I'll do something like, um, I left my wallet on the roof of my car when I was like 25 with a buddy and we drove away and it was on the freeway somewhere. He's like, Oh fuck, you're gonna have to cancel all your credit cards. I'm like, no, everything goes my way, man. And, uh, and literally there was a weird card in there to a person I had worked with that, that was the only phone number they could find. Yeah. They called, like, I got home that night and the guy's like, uh, Hey, we haven't talked in a year, but someone found your wallet in the freeway. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go over there with this friend that's really annoyed and get it. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna change my life philosophy to everything goes Bill Lawrence's way. Everything goes Bill Lawrence's way. <laughs> That's amazing. And do you? Uh, so you don't worry about death because everything goes your way. No, you want to, Can I tell you my favorite joke that I ever wrote in Spin City and no one yes, thought please. it was funny? Yes, because it's this topic. Uh, do you know what a downbeat is in American sitcoms? Uh, a, a sad bit. Oh, uh, it's it's close. It's uh, in multi-camera jokes yeah. or scenes. If you're like, going to do a scene that's exposition or drama. They'll say, come up with a downbeat, like a quick joke to start the scene, and then you can do the scene. Right. It has nothing to do with anything. Okay. And this is me, uh, and I, I channeled this, and uh, my friend Tim Hobart, who ran the middle with some people, and he's a great comedy writer, yeah. he and I wrote Spin uh, he wrote in Spin City with me, is the mayor, played by Barry Boswick, and his assistant, who is played by Victoria Dillard, this character, Janelle, they're sitting in his office, and we just needed a joke, and I channeled my own life. And the mayor's sitting there looking out the window, and his assistant's name is Janelle. And he goes, uh, do you ever think about death, Janelle? And she goes, uh, no. And he goes, 
Me neither. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and then they just move on. That's great. Yeah, yeah. so because I think that's, yeah. that's me. I've ne- I never think about death unless someone asks me if I think about death. Fantastic. So you don't think about an afterlife? Do you think there's an afterlife? I don't. Um, I think uh, I'm a huge believer in karma, and that's about as spiritual as I get. Yeah. Which is I truly believe, not only do I believe that good things come to good people, but I believe that bad people either, even if you don't get to see them get their just desserts, that they secretly aren't happy. I agree with that. I think uh, your man... Your big man is not a happy buddy. <laughs> no, I do not. I don't I think do. he's happy. No, I think he's having a no, terrible time. I think he's time. tormented and tortured yeah. and will uh, die tormented and tortured. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so hang on. This karma thing, you think that happens within one lifetime or multiple lifetimes? I think it happens within one lifetime. Okay. Uh, well, I have a surprise for you. Yes. And it's good news. Good. I don't know, actually. Depends if you wanted it to be over. There's a heaven. Sure. There is an afterlife. All right. Uh, and in this afterlife, they're obsessed with films. Yes. Uh, so tell me quickly, have you made films? And I'm so sorry if I didn't no, know this. No, uh, 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 it, it'll, it'll tie into our conversation. Okay. My one, I've gotten to rewrite a bunch of scripts, and okay. they have me punch up and add jokes to movies and yeah. stuff. I started directing in Scrubs for the sole purpose of going, man, I'd love to write and direct a movie. Right. And um, I got hired to write and direct the reboot and remake of Fletch and I wrote it and there's still articles about it and stuff and it was I had to work with Harvey Weinstein and uh, it turned me off of movies because at a very young age I was someone that had final cut and I get to cast and edit and pick the music and do what I want and it was such a bad experience uh, I would have to meet him a couple days a week at the peninsula where he had a hotel suite but he'd eat eggs with a fork and pack them the, into a little snowball with his other free hand onto the fork. And hoping to hear that, you know, and then talk about shit. And uh, you should read some of those articles about, like, why Fletch never happened. And I'm one of the pieces in it. But uh, I gave up money on that deal. Part of my deal was they can't ever shoot my script unless I directed it. And so... It was such a distasteful experience. I eventually said, uh, "Hey, I don't want to do this anymore because I'm just going to go back and do TV." Mm-hmm. And uh, and he's like, "All right, cool. We're going to have someone else direct your script." I'm like, "Oh, you can't." Mm-hmm. And then he threatened to sue me, but he couldn't. And so then he sent my script around to all the TV companies to try and make it as a TV show, but no one would because in television, at least, I had more juice than him. Yeah, I yeah, go, yeah. I could call up and say I'm not doing this, but um, uh, I Harvey Weinstein turned me off of movies, and I still hope to do one someday. But that is yet another reason I hate Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> the interesting um, thing is, if you do what I do, and people are so respectful of you that what you, it's very hard to go backwards mm. as a feature guy. I think, understandably, I would have to prove myself again. Mm. And in television, I don't think people get what a showrunner is. You get to Write the script, yeah. cast the show, final cut, choose the music, design the marketing. Choose locations. Choose, choose location, everything. Everything. And then to go back to, uh, no, now everybody tells you what to do, it's a little hard. Do you have a film in your head that you'd like to make? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm still going to do a feature sometime. Yes. You, know, look, what, what, you know what really bums me out is mm. uh, I wrote a great modern day version of Fletch. And uh, uh. The be- like, by the way, 
I don't take pride in goofy articles, but the Entertainment Weekly did this thing of like, why has Fletch never happened again? Mm-hmm. It was such a cult thing. And they actually do a couple pages on my script and how it was good and how it was yeah, put yeah. And I, I still occasionally look at that. And I'm like, I'm going to fucking make that movie. Can't you now? No. It's still uh, under uh, – I, I got to know Greg McDonald, the guy that wrote the original books. They're amazing. He oh, passed wow. away from pancreatic cancer. And uh, uh, I liked him a lot, but I don't know if I'll ever get to do it. I think you will. You know why? Everything goes your way. It does. <laughs> um, so you love film. Mm-hmm. Big film guy. Obsessed, yeah. I mean, I did not know that about you, and I'm delighted to hear it. Sure. Uh, do you go to the to the movies? Do you watch them here? What do you know what's very do? sad is uh, you go, no, going to the movies used to be religious for my wife and for, uh, for me, and it was a lot of our dating life. Hmm. And with kids, we still go to the movies a lot, but the movies I want to see, I watch at home. Right. And the movies that I end up seeing in theaters are, they're still great. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, so right. great. Um, two of my, by the way, I, 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 anytime I'm talking publicly, I say those two are my protégés because they're so good right now. Those are the two kids <laughs> I made this cartoon with, Clone High, and they're so good. Oh, really? Are they really? Yeah, Chris, uh, oh, they is their first kid. Nice. Yes. Fuck. Uh, Chris Miller, Phil Lord. Um, but I, I see whether it's Lego, they're like, if you asked me the last three movies I saw in a theater, it's a Lego it's movie. Your boys. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a Lego movie. It's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse twice. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So tell me this. So you've, you've gone to heaven and all they want to know about is your life through film. And the first question they ask you is what is the very first film you remember seeing? All right, I have two memories that I have to, I have to separate them because okay. the first movie I remember seeing as a movie was on TV. And it was because, I don't know if you remember, but around the Academy Awards, it used to be that the networks would show Academy Award winning movies from the past that whole weekend. Oh, great. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, in America... Yeah. Like when the Academy Awards was the biggest ratings thing, you know, you would be hanging around on a Sunday or Saturday in the house, and at ten o'clock, you know, there'd be Casablanca, and eleven o'clock there'd be whatever, you know. And I remember seeing West Side Story, um, is my first movie I ever saw, and it became part. Not only did it make a a moment for me because I loved it, yeah, okay, but uh, it became one of my first stand-up bits because. My favorite thing about West Side Story, if you go back and see it, and this is unfortunately a visual joke, but I'm doing it for Brett anyway, okay. is everybody everybody in that movie is tough as shit for yeah. the first 18 seconds. If you know the music, goes, and these guys are walking along and they're in a gang, and at the 12-second mark, one of them goes, <laughs> like that. <laughs> so that is, a, that is a leg kick, arms splayed. That is a really and, good. Na 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 na. I'm not scared anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember this is my favorite memory of it. Is I I remember even as a young person going, that guy's not so tough anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, a. But B, I'm like I'm still in. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, I'm yeah. still buying in. I'm gonna buy into the dancing. I'm going to buy into the singing. I'm going to be into the, the knife fights that also have big dance moves. Yeah. And uh, I loved it, man. How old were you? Do you remember? Oh, God. Remember? I was so young. I had to be like eight or nine. Oh, wow. You know? Okay. It, look, it was seminal for me because I lived in Connecticut, which is close to New York. And it made me ask my parents if we could go see musical theater once in a while. Oh, wow. And I became, because of that movie, I became a musical theater nerd and uh, being, you know, the cliche is like, oh, yeah, you're straight and you love musical theater. I don't care. I can sing Les Mis in French because of that movie. <laughs> Qui est moi 
Pour je condamne cet homme pour servitude. I saw it in Paris first. Keep pour going. servitude. Pour je condamne cet homme pour servitude. Sorry, remember. Beautiful. Sure. Beautiful. Uh, it was. It's like he's in the room when I yeah. see it. Um, and um, uh, what a great fucking film, too. West Side Story is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Do you know the, maybe you know this, but the there's two directors to it. I did Do not you know, know that because I'm more, I know Bob Fosse. I, I mean, I know the composer and the yeah. choreographer, but tell me the director. The reason there was two directors is the first director got, the first like 20 minutes of West Side Story are one director and then the rest is another. And all that stuff with the gangs. Because the first director got so into really looking at gang culture in New York. Is that and true? He started, yeah, and he started researching it and he hung out with these guys and it was taking so fucking long because he started to be like, this isn't how they stand, this isn't how they walk. And that's why the first 20 minutes are far more like, I suppose the word is kinetic camera-wise. Yes, kinetic, a little gritty, camera's yeah. moving a lot. Camera's moving, it's, they're by coming the way, towards it, it's, it's much more threatening. It's not pans, but it's certainly yeah. panning in and finding people. And, and I think it was like five times the amount of time they were supposed to spend, and so they fired him. And that's why the second half of the film is much more static cameras and people dancing and stuff. It's also a big movie for me, because if you combine my love of the arts, which equaled theater and television and film. Mm. And you can go West Side Story to musical theater and then to seeing a movie like All That Jazz, which is the story of Bob yeah. Fosse, the choreographer. Mm. You know, you can suddenly... The coolest thing with features and stuff is when you can trace a lineage yeah, like that. Yeah. You know? so. And then the second movie I was going to mention is because it connects me to my dad. I think every father... and I, I'm a big father-son guy. A lot yeah. of it's a thematic thing in a lot of my work um yeah. <laughs> i'm still very tight with my dad nice i think it's man. partially because my father um i was born when my father was 20 so my oh, father wow. was a, and they're still to get a contemporary of mine so think of it this way when i was a 19 year old in college my dad would come visit and drink and he was only 38 39 yeah it was crazy that's yeah. so mad it's bananas Are you got brothers and sisters nope Just only you. child oh, yeah wow. my wife okay. wants me to get a tattoo that says only child she said it sums me up yeah, uh, uh, but I remember my next, it wasn't the first movie I ever went to, but it, mm-hmm. I like to say it was my father, when he decided I was old enough to see shit like this, took me to see Airplane. And uh, the experience of sitting next to your dad, and uh, once you have kids, you'll know that there it's rare that you have the movie that you both get. Yeah. And my dad sat and I sat next to each other and belly laughed uh, together in yeah. a way that was bonding you know and that, that connected us forever and ever and ever you know and uh, uh and i still remember the jokes from it because of that the uh now the shit's really gonna hit the you know, <laughs> yeah. you know and the parking is for the parking in the white zone is for disabled handicapped people only parking <laughs> yeah. for the red zone you're just mad because i didn't get an abortion by the way that over the loudspeakers my dad and i were cucking giddy <laughs> giddy great. and so uh for me those movies stand out First one because of where it sent me to the arts, and the second one because of how it connected me to another person in my life. That's beautiful. What a beautiful double bill. Sure. What's that story in Airplane? <laughs> yeah, Two genuine life. masterpieces. <laughs> also, Airplane, if I may, mm-hmm. connects to Scrubs, which is the thing that I'm always impressed with with your stuff, where you have cutaway yeah. jokes that are like maybe 10 seconds, but you think, that must have been a day's yeah. set up just for that. I Without love that. Without a doubt. I hate it when people hide from what shaped their sensibility. Yeah. You just say uh, airplane, you know, flat. These movies shaped my sensibility. Right. Uh, what is the uh, film yep. that made you cry the most? Uh, I already gave you a hint because father-son stuff kills me. Field of Dreams? Yeah. Is it? Yes. <laughs> 
He's playing, when he played, by the way, it's written here on a piece of paper. Field uh, of Dreams. When he plays Field of Dreams, when he plays Catch with his dad. Dad, you want to play okay? Catch? Uh, oh, and boy. when the father says, is this heaven? I'm fucking dying. I'm dying. Yeah. You know? Because, uh, look, not to get too personal, Please my do. father, uh, he will never listen to this because I won't tell him about it. Okay. My father passing will be the worst part of my life, right? And we're so close. Mm. He's my closest friend. People that do what I do are inherently narcissistic, um, and the world makes them more narcissistic. And recently, you know, my dad's, you know, because I'm 50, my dad's 70 now, and I, I've been, and my mom, by the way, this is the worst part. I mean, I like my mom too. She's okay. <laughs> <laughs> mom and I mean, son films great. Hey, mom, if you're listening, you're awesome. So, anyways, dad. Oh, my God, my dad. Oh, my God, my dad. My mom got to marry my dad. <laughs> How lucky is my mom just to get to see him day every day. single day? <laughs> <laughs> if they heard this, it'd be the worst. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, like recently, my daughter was uh, on the road, and I'll tell you later about my daughter. And I, I don't know if you know. She's a, yeah, she's a, a massive pumpster. Right yeah, she's, you How have to you? go see her. She's going to London next week. How are you coping with this? It's horrible. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, it's horrible, oh, horrible. Absolutely. I, yesterday, I got a coffee with my daughter, and I was like, yeah. who are all those paparazzi here for? She's like, it's me, you idiot. I'm like, oh, oh wow, my God. Shit. It was the worst. That's horrible. Um, so, anyways. You were like, this uh, has to stop. I know. This has to stop immediately. So, uh, but anyways, the point of this is, uh, uh, oh, my dad. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my daughter said uh, she was performing, and she's like, I'm going to zip by Florida and see your parents for dinner. And uh, I don't want to fly to Florida. Uh, Florida's, uh, by the way, if you're listening in Florida, more power to you. You live in a horrible place. Okay. Shout out to the Yeah, sure. And, uh, but I flew there and uh, met my parents. The only thing I did, because my parents live in a landlocked town. Mm-hmm. So I said, hey, you know what might be fun? Why don't we all get on this tiny little prop plane I got and we'll go to Palm Beach. And uh, I took them all to a hotel and we spent two nights there. And... My parents constantly spoke about how great it was we got to have. If I could have played catch with my dad on the beach, I would have. And if he had said, is this heaven? I probably would have immediately either cried or came, one of the two, right? Either one, it would have been great. <laughs> either one, it would have been great and inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, Both at the same time. Yes. That's I am weird. a father-son guy. And wow. um, uh, that movie kills me because yeah. of the confusion of the father. The best thing they did... If the dad had known it was his son, mm. that scene would not work. But yeah. that the father didn't, and it's just having a catch, and you kind of sense that he does, and yeah. he says, is this heaven? Perfect. In an otherwise very shitty movie. <laughs> no, I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, the only other film that is close is Big Fish. You ever seen Big mm-hmm. Fish? Fuck me. I, was, I couldn't leave Kill that me, right? for three days. The, uh, I can't. The, the, uh, oh, you know what? Got, um, I did a bit about it on one of my TV shows. Um, and then the B side of this is nowadays I'll see movies with my kids Mm -hmm. and some of them are so artfully made that I'll get blindsided and Toy Story 3. (laughs) Listen, you're a human being. What were you meant to say? 
awful. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. I hate that. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah. How dare you? By the way, and the worst part is that, uh, you know, when as an adult, you're watching a kid's movie and you're experiencing it on a visceral level, yeah. but at the same time, an intellectual level where you're going, you knew that kids would not be understanding this. And he was just trying to hurt me. You're trying to hurt me. My children don't even know what yeah. the fuck's going on. He's just digging for gummy bears. You did this uh, on purpose. <laughs> I paid for these tickets. How dare you? How yeah. dare you? Toy Story 3 is proper evil. I've got it's it. fucking so manipulative and well done. Oh, my God. Yeah. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible people. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the film that scared you the most? All right, it's a personal story, but Jaws, people have said Jaws before. You can say it. Okay, but here's the problem is, so uh, I just told you my, uh, my family has a lot of history in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, near the ocean. You love it, yes. Jaws came out, and I had older cousins, which were the closest thing to brothers, and no one knew this, but Jaws was so big, it dominated American comic book art and graphic novels, too. So mm-hmm. you could go, and my cousins would bring home these comic books that were all about like people that are attached to buoys and that get torn apart limb by limb or watching all your, and then we, for the, you know, every year, our big fun trip was to be with the family at Christmas in Florida and go to the ocean. I never went in the ocean for the next four years. Four years. Yeah. Because I was like nine or 10 and then my cousins would be like, there's definitely the big sharks out there, man. I mean, we're going to go swim. You can come with us if you want, but we were out there this morning. We saw a shark. Says I was horrified. Killed me. Killed me from the ocean. I still hate the ocean. Do you like horror films? Do you uh, like I, I can watch a good horror film, but the if for whatever reason that does not scare me. Do you see that? Do you, do you have any interest in the sort of link between comedy and horror? I do, because yeah, the the, com- the commonality for me is the surprise. Yeah, you know, and time it's all the yeah, time. time I yeah. enjoy horror movies, but they don't spook me. Right. Is yeah. that because you're a comic writer? Yes. Do you go? Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Because what? and Jaws, then the nature thing though kills me. You know the nature. shark. I got really scared oddly by that David Mamet movie he wrote and, uh, with uh, the, the, the bear chasing the, Anthony the Hopkins. Edge. Yes, and yeah. Alec Baldwin around. I didn't like that fucking bear. Like because to me that I'm like, well that can happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean that bear that they're training can definitely follow those guys around and eat them one by one. I don't care how you're timing this. That's fucking scary. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Okay. So you're scared of nature. Yeah. All right. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Uh, what is a film that critically most people don't like it? It's sort of considered a bad film, but you go, fuck you idiots, it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I'm a, all right. I like accessible, self-deprecating male leads from uh, the 80s. And there's a movie called Better Off Dead that kind of defined John Cusack. Yes. And all anybody remembers is um, the most surreal thing in that movie, and you know I like weird cutaways, was they tried to make a movie, teen movie, about he's got a girlfriend that broke up with him, and he doesn't realize that the foreign exchange student is the girl he should be dating. But there's a runner in that movie that the local paperboy feels that John Cusack has stiffed him for $2. And so, I don't know if you know, the biggest line in that movie is, I want my two. So at very inopportune times, a kid on a huffy bike will come by and go, I want my $2. <laughs> As if, you know, saying yeah, from yeah. a horror movie, the movie's atrocious. Right. But uh, I feel like it is... Not only do I, on a comedic side, think it's gold, but it shaped my comic sensibility because uh, um, there's surreal moments in it. There's a guy named, I think it's Savage Steve Holland who yeah. directed it, and, uh, and I think his name is actually Savage, his first name. But right. uh, uh, everybody wants to fuck John Cusack's girlfriend, and people keep asking him if it's cool if they date his old girlfriend. And at one point, I don't know how they got permission, but he looks at the TV and Barney Rubble and the Flintstones yeah. goes, "Hey, is it cool if I date your girlfriend?" <laughs> and that great. to me, and that's 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 without a doubt a direct line to Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. Scrubs is a lot of people riding on bikes going, "You owe me two dollars." <laughs> this is my two dollars. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this is how surreal this movie is. I yeah. just want you to know. So that kid will come by on his bike and say, "I want my two dollars," and it's real. And then when he's in a fight with his girlfriend, I want my two dollars. <laughs> and then the movie Better Off Dead um, um, culminates. Because it's in a ski resort, and he's a great skier that lost his confidence. Yeah. And he's skiing against the dicky guy that took his place on the ski team. Yeah. Is how bad the movie is, and they're going to race. In the middle of that race, when they're going down the hill, yeah. that kid appears with a bike that now, the same bike, but it has skis on it. Yeah. And it's real. It's not played as a fantasy. So he goes by on his bike on skis and says that he wants his $2. I am in no way convinced that this is a bad film. This <laughs> sounds excellent. It's amazing. That's really you will la- Here's what I will guarantee. Not only will you think it's horrible, but you will laugh at least five times out loud. I mean, that's a success. Yes. That's a huge success. Better off dead. Uh, what, see it. See it. What is the film that you, what you used to love? You loved it. You loved it for years, and then you've watched it recently, and you've thought, oh, no, this, I, I don't like this anymore. You, it's, it's annoying because you mentioned one of them, which is I love John Hughes movies and Breakfast Club is a little date rapey when you go back and you mentioned it. So, but I want to get off of it just okay. because you did it. But I'll tell you the funniest one is you know I love Police Squad and, yes. uh, I mean, and Airplane yeah, and those yeah. guys. I can't watch those Naked Gun movies because really? it's OJ Simpson's The Murder. Okay, and by the way, this is yeah, a really course. interesting topic I wanted to bring up for you because... I don't see Woody Allen movies anymore. Yeah. Because I'm a father and I don't like to judge, but I'm judging on your podcast after a drink or two. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, right. And yeah. you can't get around the fact that wh- however you've rationalized it, it's too much for me that he's 
doing these issues on screen and is currently essentially married to somebody that he raised as his child, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I have an issue that other people don't have. Uh, I can't separate the actual person from the art, and I think a lot of people can. And so it really bums me out. The, the Naked Gun movies, which I loved, when I turn them on now, I just see a murderer that got away from it and uh, got away with it and ruins it for me. Yeah. Ruins it for me. That's so interesting. And there's a real thing. There's a film that's come out. I haven't seen it, but it's a big documentary about Michael Jackson that they just it, edit. It's very upsetting so, to a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, it's going to bum me out because I love the music. Yeah. And part of the thread of the documentary is... How are we letting this guy skate just because he's so talented yeah. when he did so many horrible things to some But I, I heard there were people like protesting outside the cinema. They didn't want it to come out. And it's like, I get it because as soon as you know this stuff for you real. Can't, you can't hear ABC Then anymore. what the fuck Bop are we going to dance to at weddings? We're in trouble. We're fucked. <laughs> we're in trouble. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Naked Gun movies. Look, I, I still say, this is a random um, sidebar, but the uh, police squad is... Oh. My saving grace because I can watch it. Yeah. So the Naked Gun movies came from Police Squad. No AJ Simpson. And uh, right, and no AJ Simpson. And uh, Police Squad. Uh, people often ask me what I think the best television joke ever written was, and I think it was on the show Police Squad. Do I? Did Come I tell you? Squad. No, but I think it is as well. All right. So this is. Uh, it's the joke is the best joke ever written is there's a murder scene and uh, Wesley Nielsen and the other guy leave and they go back to the murder scene just to try and get clues and when they go in. There's a guy there already, and uh, Wesley Nielsen pulls out his gun and goes, Who are you, and how'd you get in here? And the guy goes, I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith. <laughs> and that's I, great. I thought, by the way, when I was 12, I'm like, that's fucking genius. Yeah. My best joke on Police Squad, which I think I watched when maybe I was 12 and I watched over and over and over again, is at the end of an episode, he, he says, say when, Frank, and he pours him a cup of tea, and he goes, wet, and then the end credits come on, and they freeze. They keep pouring and they're it off. Still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and his hand's burning, and he's trying to hold still. Fuck, that's funny. Great show. It's a great show. Thank God we can still watch that. Yeah, you can watch that, but you can't. I can't. Can you separate the uh, uh, artist from the art? I tried it as a um, because my guy, one of my guys, was Bill Cosby, I, and and I was sort of raised on the Cosby Show. I know was, it, uh, I had his have his record album. Still yeah, and, made him. and I think I wrote like essays on it. Like I was a proper Bill Cosby guy, and when all this stuff happened, it's so depressing. And I sort of wanted to see if I could separate it because it had so many memories. And literally, it was like he parented us. That was like our joke. He's got a record album called "To My Brother Russell, Whom I Slept With," yes. which is one of the best comedy albums I'd ever heard. Yeah. yeah. And so I watched as like an experiment. Can I still watch this? And I watched three minutes of the Cosby Show, and I was like, "No, I'm watching a disgusting. Like this is now so disturbing because not only do I know this, but you're pretending to be this moral good." And it, yeah, so upsetting, isn't it? So upsetting. And I don't. But I. But I wondered. Do you have like a? Is there a scale of I, how bad is. the crime? You know and you can go, oh, okay, I can still watch your art. There's a scale because one of the hard parts of if you go to Hollywood and join the arts and you did it because you love them, mm. you will without a doubt get cross paths with people that you want them to be the way that you imagined them from the parts they played. And they yeah. are not always that way. And to some of them, for me, some of them are just like, oh, that person's just an asshole. That doesn't mean you can, yeah. can't appreciate their art. Yes. You know, if they're sexist, rapist, pig, then you have to move on. <laughs> yeah. And But it does make, 
like I always try to say this, like the coolest thing for me was on Spin City writing jokes for Michael J. Fox, and he turned out to be that good a guy. Right. How cool is that, right? He's awesome. Yeah. In your dealings with all Hollywood and all the stuff you've done, what's your percentage of dickheads to not? Uh, this is, the, you know, I think we can all say it's like, ah, it's like 50-50, 60-40, whatever. But the important thing to me to put out there is I think it's the same as any business. Right. But that it's more high profile. Yeah, it's more in the public eye. Yeah, except maybe, like, I don't know, if you, special education teachers, they're probably mostly nice yeah, <laughs> you, know, you don't know. They're such Maybe good not. people. Yeah. Right? But the world of uh, high finance, I, I would imagine More so. a bunch of horrible men. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, that's fair. But also, you are the, what, I mean, I hate to say this, but you are the change you want to see. <laughs> and it's who you surround, the more you're in a position of, you can hire people and have people around, you seem to surround yourself with good people. And the more that that happens, the more. Yeah, you but you know, I, I, I think it's not as rare as people think. I think that uh, you mean good people. Yes, you're nice to say um, that I'm a a decent guy. Uh, I think the cool thing about Hollywood is that almost no one that is successful, uh, most of us all got here at least partly because of the benevolence of someone else. Right. Because you have to be almost gifted or handheld or brought in in some way. And uh, those people are usually good folk, you Mm -hmm. know. And uh, the problem is it's a business that the horrible people not only flame out in a big way that we all see, but they often get second chances because they make money. Yes. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Now, here is my favorite question. Yes. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself is any good. The film might be average. But there was something that happened around the time you saw that film. Could have been your first date with your I wife. I got a great story for this. So you will always remember this film because of this story. All right, What's you ready? the story? Right. So, all right. There's a Tom, I think Tom Stoppard wrote the script, Shakespeare in Love. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who directed it. You uh, know. John Madden. John Madden, thank you. Um, and I, I knew Stoppard wrote it. And I, I saw it, and I really, really enjoyed it. I actually saw it on my own. And um, um, you said it first date or whatever. But I, I saw it my own and liked it, and um, it was a huge moment for me because had I not seen it on my own, mm-hmm. um, I might not be here in this house married with kids. Because so wow. I saw it, I saw it my own on a Monday, and uh, I had started dating my I, I had been married very young, and I found actresses to be ridiculous. The only thing more ridiculous than actresses in my head was actors, because <laughs> yeah. actors are guys that wear makeup and look at themselves in mirrors yeah. all the Awful. time. And yeah, it's horrible. And uh, uh, and I'd been married to an actress, and I'm like, I'm never going to marry an actress again. And I had gone on a couple dates with an actress named Krista Miller, who I'm now married to. And uh, our third date, you know, I I lived in New York. I was running Spin City, and she lived in L.A. and she was on the Drew Carey show. And on our third date, uh, we went to uh, Cabo. It's a big third date. But <laughs> That's a, friend, a big uh, move. Well, here's how it is. Uh, it wasn't just the two of us. A friend of mine rented the house and uh, had seven bedrooms. I said, uh, you want to come? She's like, yeah. And so she came. I had a bunch of friends there. And um, um, one friend who we all have this guy friend who is a fun guy to be around, but you don't trust him, you know, at all. Right. And uh, uh, he was very, he thought my date, Krista, was very cute. And um, 
he uh, and he's kind of a buddy, but not a close buddy. And he asked me when we were in Cabo, he's like, uh, what do you think of Christus, our third date? And I'm like, oh, she's awesome. I mean, I'm not going to marry her or anything, but she's awesome, you know? And I said that being fully crazy about her, but not going to divulge anything to this guy. Yeah. Like, why would I? Okay. And I went back to New York and he went back to LA where my wife lived. And uh, he represented himself to her as my best friend, you know, because she really liked me. I really liked her. And he called her up and he's like, you know, I'm Bill's best buddy. We should go get a drink. We should go to this. And she called me a week later on Friday. She's like, oh, your best friend Spence called me. And I'm like, it's not my best friend. I'm like, oh, cool. What do he say? She's like, ah, nothing. We're just going to get together, get a drink, and see a movie. I'm like, what movie are you going to see? She's like, oh, we're going to go see Shakespeare in Love. And if I had not seen Shakespeare in Love, yeah. I would have been an idiot and just been like, yeah, they're going to see a movie. But I had just yeah. seen it. And I'm like, that movie is nothing but fucking, and, and by the way, unrequited romance. Yeah. And just, it's, that's... That's a movie you only take a girl to yeah. if you're trying desperately to fuck. I'm like, I just want you to know if you go to that, he's trying to fuck you. Yeah. And if you go to that movie with him, I'm going to be really upset. And she didn't. And we are now married and have three children. So Shakespeare and Love Stand. And it's a wonderful film. It is a wonderful film. Yeah. Thank you, John Matthews. <laughs> All right. Wow. But if I had not seen that on my own, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I heard it's a comedy. Yeah, Tom yeah. Stoppard, he's funny. It's always witty banter and wordplay. Probably like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's probably like that, right? It's probably not a lot of unwrapping Gwyneth Paltrow's yeah. when she was very proud of her naked body and wanted to show it constantly. Sure. <laughs> what uh, ever became of that prick Spence? You know what? Uh, he still is out in the world. Mm. I like him. He's a good guy. And to his credit, if I were to look at this now as an adult, yeah. uh, he was doing the guy move of going, Bill lives in New York. Yeah. If he really likes this girl, I'm not going to do it. And because of who I was, which I'm not very good at sharing feelings, yeah. I wish I could have gone back in time and said, "What?" Like as a 50-year-old me, I would have gone, I really like her, but it's scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and instead I went like, hey, who gives a shit? I yeah. don't care. Take it to Shakespeare love. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> what you should do, you should wait until five days have passed and take her to Shakespeare in love. I hear that's a very sexy movie. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. You're a man who doesn't have feelings, but all your male characters do. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a man that does it, is uncomfortable with sharing my feelings. Like, uh, yeah. uh, it's very funny. I'm not a hugger, yeah. and yet I'm very demonstrative with my children and my wife. Mm. And so I am. It's just in my own little circle. Okay. And so I guess That's the smart. characters are what I wish I could be. Yeah. Beautiful. What is the, speaking of hugging, what is the... Sexiest film you ever saw, other than Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, no, right, other than Shakespeare in Love with my uh, wife's other boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, oddly, because it was my own sexual awakening in high school, the original About Last Night. With Demi Moore. With Demi and Moore and Rob Lowe. By yes. the way, Rob Lowe, who, you know, uh, one and of my James jokes. Belushi. What's that? James Belushi. James Belushi. Yeah. The only time that he was really, really funny. Um, <laughs> Uh, David Mamet play yeah. script. I never know the directors. Writ, script written by Tim Kazarinski, who was an SNL guy, right. um, who has a bit part in the thing, and uh, uh, based on a play called Sexual Perversity in Chicago. Which I was in once. Seriously, yeah. it's a great play. Fact fans. Yeah. yeah. I used to always joke. It's like uh, uh, someone holds a gun to your head and goes, um, uh, "I'm going to shoot you unless you tell me the one guy that you would fuck if I." And before he finishes, I go, "Rubble up, rubble up," and just I yell it. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's not what I was going to ask. I wasn't. And, uh, uh, so, but my, uh, the, the girl I, I told you about when we were talking before we got on the mics, yeah. it was the, it was the first, third, fifth and seventh girl that I ever slept with the, uh, uh, or vice versa. Uh, she thought Rob Lowe was hot and, uh, I thought Demi Moore was super hot, and that lined up with our own sexual awakening, and we must have watched it five or six times. Right. And the banter in it is outstanding. Yeah. Elizabeth Perkins and Jim Belushi have banter in that that still holds up if you go watch it. Yeah. It's got a montage of sex in it, doesn't it? Yes. I remember it very well. Yes. And um, very awkward. In the to, bar. Yes. Very in awkward to contrast with Demi Moore, who never had any surgery of any kind because... Mm. You know, she's naked in that movie and naked in different ways in other movies. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I remember about it, too, that really makes me laugh, I think I tried to do stand-up about this at one point, is that Rob Lowe is so beautiful that I just remember, <laughs> you know, when things are really complicated sexually, you know, uh, the idea of a naked man, you know, to a young teen is like, oh, my God, besides me, that's gross. But then I remember, I mean, she was in the screen too, but when you had to see his naked ass being like, yeah. eh, it's not so bad. <laughs> Rob <Robert. laughs> It's okay. I mean, it's very smooth. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Very smooth. I mean, if I had to, if I had to lick No one's ass, making you. If I had to, what I'm saying. No, but no one's me. making you. <laughs> if I had, if I had to lick. Leave Rob alone. No one's making you. <laughs> it was pretty good. It's a pretty good ass. Yeah. Lovely ass. Sure. Congratulations, Rob. Yeah. Uh, now, this next question is a subcategory, and to be clear, yeah. I keep wanting to cut this question, but every time I do, people ask for it to come back. So, so the, I tried to write an answer. I might not have had an answer to this one, but I know it's... I, oh, I have an answer that I didn't want to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. The subcategory is Troubling Boners, Worrying Widons, a film that aroused you and you thought perhaps it shouldn't. I'm going to do this through my son, because... Uh, uh, is her name Emily... What's her name, the actress, uh, Harry Potter actress? Emily Watson? Yes. Is that her? Is that Hermione? Emily Watson, yeah. Could be, right? All right. Yeah. And uh, my son... Emma Watson. Yeah, Emma Watson. And my yeah. son right now, uh, in a very understandable way, finds her to be an incredibly well-spoken, stunning, you know, young, feminist, strong woman and the hottest thing on earth. She's great. And he's 16, and I think she's 22 or 23. I don't even know right. how old she is. And, uh, and she showed up in the movie, the end of the, that um, Seth Rogen movie, and my th- son thought she was a stunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then a Harry Potter movie will come on where she is 13 or 14, yeah. and he is not disconnecting from, <laughs> you know, so he's looking at that as a 16-year-old going, she's so hot. I'm like, even though in real world, yeah. she's, she's 20, she's, she's, you can say, if you were looking yeah. at her in real world, you can yeah. say she's so hot. Looking at 14-year-old version of her, you can't say she's so hot. It's very confusing. Life is complicated. Yes, it's very complicated. (laughs) complicated. (laughs) Uh, What is the film that you most relate to? Uh, The the movie that I most relate to, I got obsessed with making the movie Fletch. I could probably do the whole movie line for line still because... Why I think does it often mean so much to you? this is why it means so much to me. I think that we often watch movies that shape our sensibility. That mm-hmm. you go, or a comedian, like you said with Bill Cosby, that you go, oh, I'm going to start using those rhythms and using those tropes. And maybe it's my own arrogance, but I I did Fletch banter with my friends before I saw Fletch. Right, right. And so okay. that was you know. So to me, 
I like it. You know, I didn't always. We all don't know if we're normal or not, or if it's fun. You know, yeah. And uh, was so weird for me to always be like that. And some friends thought I was funny, and some thought I was ridiculous. You know, and then I went and saw the movie Fletch, and I'm like, oh my god, that's a grown up doing me, and people think it's funny. So it was life affirming. And I remember this one stupid scene in um, Fletch. I'll tell you what I used to do when I got bored with my friends is um, we would be at a, a restaurant. This place called Friendly's used to be a chain in America. Yeah. And if everybody's quiet and I was bored, I'd always be like, hey, man, you pass me this man. And he would be like, <laughs> yeah, here you go. I'm like, no, that's not it. Yeah, I'd keep doing gibberish. And then finally he'd be like, what the fuck are you? And people would be laughing. He's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I don't know. I was bored. You know? and, uh, and then in Fletch at one point, and that mo- he walks downstairs and he needs some records. Yeah. And he goes, Hey, I'm uh, Dr. Rosen. I need this, such and such. She's like, I'm sorry, what are you? It's Dr. Rosen, Rosen. It's the whatever. <laughs> and she's like, What? He's like, It's Dr. Rosen penis. It's the, he says, Dr. Rosen penis. And I remember seeing that movie uh-huh. and it was life affirming for me because I said, That guy is doing me and yeah. people are seeing the movie and laughing. And I didn't feel like I was doing him. Uh, question for you. Yes. When you were young, uh, a child, do you th- do you have a theory why you were funny? Like, do you did, were you different? Like, I do have a theory. May I ask what it is? Please? Yeah, you know, mine is not hardship. I think a lot of comedy, comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't know what yours is. I'm gonna have. To, I want to okay. uh, find out the same answer from you. I'm often um, struck by the brilliant comedy that comes from pain, and yeah. it's very prevalent. Mine came from being dropped into. Uh, polar opposite family and what was interesting for me um i can do it in four or five sentences my dad is one of the last american blue bloods my father my name is william van duzer lawrence the fourth my father is william van duzer lawrence the third his great grandma my great great grandma was sarah lawrence which is sarah lawrence college so there's I, i didn't go to sarah lawrence college because there's a statue of the original William Van Duzer Lawrence that looks like me, except he's bald and has mutton chops. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but in that town, my agent randomly, Ted Chervin, he runs ICM. He mm-hmm. was born at William Lawrence Hospital. His mom went to Sarah Lawrence College. It's very weird. Um, my mom grew up on uh, – my mom's family, they all live in rural Florida on the St. John's River. They're all largemouth bass fishing guides. Bob Stonewater's big bass. He's a fisherman. Uh, my mom is the first – not only anymore, maybe one of two, but the first person in every generation of her family to attend college. My mom went to Rollins College in Florida on a full academic scholarship. And my dad went there because that's where um, rich dudes that fucked around too much go to college. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they got married. They got married when my dad was still a freshman in college and my mom was a senior. And uh, growing up, I would either be with my mom's family where we'd go for Christmas and be, you know, all eight cousins would sleep in the garage of the house mm-hmm. called Little House, and all these people would tell fishing stories. Yeah. Bob Stonewater's big mouths out there, bass, hit it hard! You know, and um, I remember even when I was, was this little... this where you learned to hate nature? Well, even when I was little, we, they would make me go fishing all day. I fucking hate oh, fishing. No. And I would take a book, and <laughs> even when I was like six years old, my cousins called me college... So I was reading a book. <laughs> hey, college, what's your book about? I'm like, I'm not weird because I'm reading. <laughs> yeah. spot. You're going to the zoo. <laughs> I'm just reading. Yeah. And then on my dad's side, when we go to my dad's family for Thanksgiving, we'd have manners practice because, beforehand because 
you know, we'd go there be butlers and we'd wear suits and, and uh, that weird not fitting into either world. Yeah. I wasn't cracker redneck and I love them. They're the greatest storytellers of all. Yeah. And I wasn't in a feet upper class, you know, I didn't know how to pull either one. And I became an observer of all these kind of uh, uh, story. T- so for me, it became about being lost kind of in my own head between the ultimate Richie rich and the ultimate, you know, yeah. kind of cracker poor. And, you know, and the fact that those families got along at all was amazing. My dad's mom, when they got married, said uh, she was awesome. Um, but she's like, thank God you're not a druggie and she's not fucking pregnant. You know, because that's what yeah, you yeah, thought yeah. we got married. You know, but it was... Uh, it's uh, been a great wedding. You know, my, my dad's mom dated one of the Kennedys wow. and my mom's mom could um, drink an entire Dr. Pepper without taking the cigarette out of her mouth. She's going <laughs> sideways, you know. Hey, honey. She took uh, me to High Lie when I was 13, snuck me into Gamble. You know, it's that type of shit. It. Very weird. Okay. So where's yours so, come from? I don't think I've ever answered it. I think the reason is, the reason I do comedy is I think, quite honestly, I have thought about this, that I was like, I think I was a depressive kid. I yeah. think I was born miserable. I think when I look back, I think, I'm much younger now than I was when I was a kid. I was like an old man kid. Yeah. I think that I used to just think, yes. and I was always on the outside. How I felt was uh, like I was always on the outside of things. And I remember from a very young age, just sort of, sort of thinking, teach school, teachers. I was just like, this is bullshit. I remember yeah. thinking, this is bullshit a lot. And there's a thing, you don't have it in America, so you, you won't really get this, I don't think. But we have panto, you know, pantomimes. Yeah. And so there's this thing, it's a tradition in Britain and it happens at Christmas where you go and see a show at the, at the theatre and it's shit, it's really shit. Yeah. And like things come on stage and like someone will go to the audience, where is he? And there'll be a person behind him yeah. and the audience will go, he's behind you. And he'll turn around and the person will have disappeared. Sure. And then he'll turn back and go, I don't see him, where is he? And we go, he's behind you. And then like that's like a, a tradition. Sounds amazing. And I was six years old, yeah. And I remember this so vividly. I was six years old and I was taken to one of these things and the whole audience is going, he's behind you. And I remember looking around going, this is fucking bullshit. You know he's behind you. Why, what the fuck is the you fun? You did this last night. Yeah. You, this is shit. Why are you all into this? And, uh, and it was only like years and years later. Once Can you I'd appreciate sort of, those moments now? Yeah, think? now I go... That's brilliant. <laughs> like, what else are we meant to do with our lives other than pretend that we don't see someone behind us? But, but I also think that I had a... I've talked about this in a show, and it's, it's bad, and I don't wish to encourage this, but genuinely, I did ecstasy once, yeah. and I think it changed my life because I think it removed... It allowed me to see, oh, you can have fun. I think I just hadn't... It sort of removed some block I had yeah. that showed me that there was joy and fun, and ever since then... You know, I just do pills every day. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. It was like once, but it was a real revelation. Like, oh, shit. But I think that the comedy thing comes from being always feeling like I'm on the outside, just watching and think, and just dissecting people having lunch at school and just thinking, this is bullshit. Just this whole... You, all right, so you the, know what I mean? Yeah, but you have tapped into uh, a philosophy I have because I feel... But the cliche is people want comedy to come from pain. We think like, oh, these people that had this horrible, you know, yeah. and a lot of it does. Yeah. But I think it actually comes from two places. Um, yeah, comedy can come from the pain of 
rejection and bad childhood and hardship. Yeah. But it can also come from being the type of person that I think you and I both are that steps back and observes. Yeah. And what I was really describing that you're describing too is I feel that the funniest things I've written, I didn't actually write. I just recorded. Yeah. Does that make sense? Exactly right. You know, yeah. that I, I've sat around and I'm like, oh, that's fucking insane that that yeah. person just said or did that. And, you know, that I was lucky enough to be plopped down the same way you were at these ridiculous theater things as a kid. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be plopped down in these people. I remember being 12 and having the thoughts of like, have I really been listening to 20 minutes of my <laughs> uncle talking about almost catching a fish? Like, who gives a shit? Yeah. Who, by the way, if you had caught it, are people going to care? You'd be like, yeah, it would have been the biggest moment in their life. Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's a fucking, you can go to the store and buy that same fish. Yeah. Yeah. But there is an argument that we are not engaging. I don't engage. Emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> we've we, we've watching... already spoke about it. I intentionally stay distant. Yeah, yeah. But then when you reach a deeper, purer self, you were nice enough to point out that if you're an artist, then you write to where you're lacking. And where I'm lacking yeah. is being as emotionally available as my favorite characters are. Yeah. You know? And so... And the other thing I say about Scrubs, it made me cry every single week. Yeah, it was manipulative, right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> fucking Toy Story 3 every week. I was like, you motherfuckers. Did it ever make you cry? Or were you just like, oh, we're just doing this? No, no, no. This Can I tell him. you the funniest... Uh, all right, it's a story I shouldn't share, but the... Uh, Please my, do. My favorite version of the character. So you can manipulate people a little bit it's not manipulative if it's you know you're passionate about it but uh there's a famous episode of that show won a bunch of awards and stuff that brendan frazier played yeah. john Dean's best friend and he dies and you don't know he's dead yeah. there's a play on the sixth sense and uh Oof. um oh, i can't believe i'm gonna make fun of him on this but that's okay all right so john mcginnell he's a great actor great okay? actor and in that episode at the funeral mm -hmm. he had to you know when the reveal is is a great moment in that show that we set people up and Zach Braff's character says, where do you think you are? Because he, he's still lost in his head that he's at his son's birthday. And he's like, what are you talking about? And, uh, and then you realize it's uh, Brendan Fraser's funeral. And John goes and watches it. It's a very sad song playing because that's manipulative. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he has to cry. And he could not cry. It's okay. Actors, actresses, in the moment they can. John's an amazing actor. I've seen him cry, cry on stage on Broadway. And for this particular one... I'm like, hey, fuck it, man. We'll use this called menthol. It's, you know, and you, that's the noise of uh, me blowing menthol into his eyes. And you say action and his eyes water and he cries. So we had to manufacture his tears. And then John is a very controlling actor. And he used to sneak into editing on scrubs and want to take passes at his own scenes, right. the editor. And I, just to not deal with it, I would always have the editor and be like, yeah, just do it with him. And then say you showed it to me. I'm never going to look at it. I don't care. Um, but one time I came in and John was watching that scene yeah. with the music and cut together and he was watching it. It was a good episode, but he was crying and I started laughing. I said, are you being moved to tears by your fake tears? <laughs> like, I have to stop right now. Are you being moved to actual tears by what you know to be your very, very fake tears? If only we had this scene when we were filming that scene. <laughs> so he was, and he was very mad at me because he was moved to tears by his fake tears. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Manipulative sounds too shallow. I really was passionate about Scrubs. We tried really hard, but you, at the end, you voiceover and good music is manipulative. Mm -hmm. And I realized that at one point because 
uh, a book company called us up and said, hey, we want to give you guys a big publishing deal. We want to do a book of all the voiceovers at the end that give life lessons. And I said, yeah, we'll take that money. And, uh, and then of like the 150 of them, 20 or 30 of them are really good. Yeah. We're like, okay. But then one out of every three, would, when you read it, to get, it was just like, at the end of the day, things happen. And then other things happen. And then those things make you feel things. And I, we were, we like when you read them in a row yeah. without the song and without the acting, we're like, oh, no. Oh, we can't put this in a book at all. People get up and then they go back to bed. You know what? At and the end between... of the day, you never know how a friend's going to react. You know, And if yeah. you don't see that person looking poignant, you just read the words. You're like, oh, we're horrible. Uh, shit. Yeah. So we, we did great. not do it. Oh, I did love that book. Uh, what's the greatest film of all time? Greatest film of all time is uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Lovely answer. No one's given it. Uh, because, uh, look, I, the, the two themes that resonate for me throughout most of my personal work, whether it's Father, Sons, the, the second one, if not tied for first, is male friendship. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was the quintessential male friendship yeah. movie. And that they were really the couple in that. And there's a scene in which they're trapped and they jump into the water. It's Walter Hill, I think, directed it. Uh, am I right? No, it's George Roy Hill. George Roy Hill. Someone yeah. shoot. Sorry, Hill, Hill. It's sorry. a hill. Uh, Walter hill. hill was 48 Hours. Am I wrong? Yes, no, that's yeah. correct. Gosh. Oh. So uh, George Roy Hill. And uh, um, um, there's a scene in which they're such a quintessential male friendship scene that they're cornered before they jump into yeah. the uh, water up the cliff. And what the scene's really about is Robert Redford can't admit to his friend Paul Newman that he can't swim. And that's so male friendship for me that even in the worst moment that you can't say what's really bothering you. You're willing to die rather than admit one shortcoming. And the ultimate friendship line, there's not a a better line, was instead of uh, just making fun of him, because he laughs. But then he says... The fall's going to kill you, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So great. And so that they, uh, in the middle of what is a, you know, an old Western and an action movie and an adventure and a romance with, uh, uh, what's her name? Very good actress. Catherine. Catherine. Keep falling my head. Catherine Ross. Right. And, uh, uh, they do this, the quintessential male friendship story shaped everything that I write. Love it. Beautiful. Closest scene to that is, um, Danny Glover on the toilet in Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, it's great, by the way. Great scene. I love that scene. Great scene. Shane Black wrote that. And um, I think he writes male friendship. Yeah. Uh, There's this movie called Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. The first two-thirds of the movie are fantastic. And then it gets a little crazy because they talk to the camera at the end. But the male friendship that's developed between those two, so good. Yeah. That's a really good answer. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? Uh, there's two. Um, and I, I, I watch The Princess Bride every time it's on. Uh, William Goldman, you know, and it's because, and you know what, it's, I'm just going to stick with Princess Bride because it's a movie that sucked me in because of how cinematic and beautiful it was. And then it's cross generations because it holds up when movies don't always hold up. And I've had three kids that have mm. each reached the age that they appreciate it. And so I've gotten to watch it so many different times and this, uh, no more rhyming. I mean it. Um, does anyone want a peanut? That's always funny and uh, inconceivable. I do not think that word means what you think that it means. Oh my so God. Good. It's so, it's, yeah. it's uh, uh, so well written 
it crosses generations. I can watch it by myself. I can watch it with my daughter. I can watch it with my boys. It's great. You can watch it with Spence. Yes, Spence and I. We, you know, we watch it on the phone. Like when we haven't connected in a long time, he'll watch it at his house. I'll watch it at mine. Uh, Rob Reiner. Yeah. Most underrated director of all time. Yes. Uh, does not get his due. Does not because, get his due. Um, Six masterpieces. Yes. And by the way, and, and what's amazing too is Princess Bride and um, Spinal Tap, incredibly cinematic. In, yeah. You know, and yes. When you got to the one Harry Met Sally, you're kind of doing master, master over tighter, tighter because you're working with comedians and yeah. doing big rom-com and stuff. But, man, he's good. So good. Uh, yeah, I think he did the uh, he did one of my favorite John Cusack movies, too. I think he did The Sure Thing. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, what, and now we don't like to be negative on this show, yes. but we'll be quick with this. What's the worst film? Okay, I can tell you because I used to do a comedy bit about it. Because oh, it's great. a movie called Duets. What's it called? Duets. Uh, and it's a, uh, yeah. there's this poignant story about it because what is it? it's uh, it's Bruce Paltrow who's an amazing writer. He wrote on Saint Elsewhere. He's Gwyneth Paltrow's dad. Yeah, he made it, and uh, she he got it made because she agreed to star in it. She's a singer. It's karaoke. Yes, and um, my favorite thing. First of all, it's a movie about karaoke. Yeah, and secondly, it's a movie about karaoke that ends with a murder. Oh <laughs> wow. Stage. Yeah, yeah. On stage? Yeah, yeah. And Andre Brower gets shot and killed on stage. He's a guy that left prison and, wow. uh, yeah. So, uh, and he deserved it too. But the, uh, uh, <laughs> my favorite thing about that movie, I hate watch that movie because uh, uh, my favorite thing is it opens, they have to establish karaoke is much bigger than it is because it's not that big a thing. It's something you do when you're <laughs> drunk and no one cares. Yeah. And Huey Lewis is a karaoke hustler right. in this movie. And so in the opening, he's hustling people for their money because he's an amazing karaoke guy. But he's like, oh, I'm shit. Do you want to no, bet? He shows up. He doesn't even know what it is. Oh, so what okay. he says, uh, Kerry Whatty? <laughs> he says, by the way, this is how you set the premise of a movie like this. So he's at that bar. And they're like, karaoke tonight, you know, $1,000 to the uh, winner and blah, blah, blah. Which, by the way, there's no prizes for karaoke, yeah. right? And he's like, Kerry Whatty? And then to establish the premise, the other guy goes... Is that a genuine like? Yes, Carrie Whitey. The other guy goes, karaoke, man, where you been? Where you been? It's only the biggest thing to hit America since blah, you know, you know what I mean? So that is the premise. So they have another guy go, where you been? And he's like, I don't think it's that big a deal. And that other guy goes, uh, well, yeah, because you can't do it. And then Huey Lewis is like, I got $1,700, says I can do it better than you. And the guy's like, yeah, I'll bet you. And then Huey always takes his glasses off and goes up there. He's like, cool it now. You know, he's amazing. You know? <laughs> and he pockets that money because he did know what karaoke was. He's a karaoke hustler. Carrie Huey. Yeah, Carrie Whatty. Carrie Whatty. The best is where you've been. Karaoke, man, where you been? Where you been? I'm like, he hasn't been anywhere, man. Karaoke isn't that bad. <laughs> and so here's the – I want to go into the depths of the awfulness. Yeah. So that movie is – all these separate storylines. One is Huey Lewis is a karaoke hustler that's never met his 18-year-old daughter who's played by, I think, a 38-year-old Gwyneth Paltrow, and they sing a <laughs> duet together. And um, the amazing thing was here in America, their duet became a number one song. Wow. Um, and you can still download it afterwards. It's Huey Lewis, Gwyneth Paltrow duets. I think it's um, Cruising, song Cruising. They sang it together in that Lovely. thing, so it made the movie. Is Gwyneth Paltrow also a hustler? What's that? She no, she's his daughter that comes to find him. He oh, okay. doesn't know it's his daughter until they're singing together. So that's one story. Okay. Uh, the other story is... Hang on. Till they're singing together, what? And he goes, your voice is as good as my voice. Yeah, must so be Carrie, what? Um, the, uh, and, uh, uh, and they figure out that, yeah, that she's his daughter. That's why she's come. 
Wow. And then um, Paul Giamatti uh, is in a, you know, he, he's in a horrible middle management job with a mean wife and a kid. And he leaves and um, goes out to get some smokes in the middle of the night and then just goes on the road, ends up picking up a guy that Andre Brower, who's just been released from prison, and he's having a midlife crisis. And Andre Brower can also sing, they can both sing really well. And they're also driving to this, everybody's going to this big karaoke competition yeah. at the end where the big money is, I think it's a $50,000 prize, right? And uh, Andre Brower and Paul Giamatti go, and along the way, they rob a convenience store. And at the end, since Andre Brower's just been released from prison, and even though they both robbed the convenience store, Andre Brower kind of takes the, the guilt for it, but he gets shot by the cops, you know, while singing. Uh, the What's yeah. he singing? Uh, I don't remember. But it, by the way, that's their story. And then the third story is Maria Bello is a prostitute with a heart of gold, which is yeah. uh, kind of her wheelhouse. Is there any other kind? <laughs> <laughs> and she gets in a cab driven by Scott Speedman, and she's using her money that she's made, uh, I assume being a prostitute, to hire him to take her to this karaoke contest. And so those are your stories. They all converge there at the big karaoke contest. Who wins? But uh, nobody really wins because in the middle of an Andre Brower gets shot yeah. and killed. So I don't think anybody wins. <laughs> yes, yeah, by the way, it's not. But it's the worst movie I've ever seen. But you have to see it over and over. I'm um, renting it tonight. Yeah, Carrie Waddy. Carrie Waddy. Where you been, man? <laughs> Karaoke's huge. It's fucking. Huge. It made me realize, though, that you can. It became it became such a part of my ingrained sensibility. I hate when they fake stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's like you know, it's a. Uh, it's like, who is that guy? What are you talking about, man? That's Dak Rambo. He's only the winner of the American Open in tennis, which is no American Open. There's no Dak Rambo, yeah. you know. And so uh, I did an episode of Scrubs about it called Jiggly Ball because, Mike, you <laughs> might as well just say he's the Jiggly Ball champion and just fucking make up a sport, you know? Who fucking cares? It's so fake. Oh, um, Carrie, all from Kerry Woody. And yeah. by the way, I'm sorry because Bruce Paltrow... He also wrote uh, The White Shadow, which I thought was great. He's a great writer, but that one was a miss. Listen, it's very hard to make films. Yes. And everyone tries their best. Um, what is the funniest film? Midnight Run. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dialogue in Midnight yeah. Run is fantastic. Yeah? Yeah. Holds up? Uh, holds up. Have you watched it in a while? Yeah, I saw it about mm, a few years ago. Uh, the, it's very good. There's certain chunks of dialogue in that that are so good. Um, yeah. Are you uh, the owner of this bar? Um, I am. Why do they call you Red? <laughs> what do you mean? Your hair's brown. Well, my last name is Wood. He goes, okay, Red. <laughs> so funny, man. Uh, great. I'm just saying, if I was your accountant, I would tell you a restaurant's a horrible investment. These guys are so good together. Yeah, I love him as well, Grodin. Yep. Is he still around? He is still around. Older, 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 but still around. Yeah. Great answer. Right. Bill Lawrence, you have been... Above and beyond what I'd hoped. Outstanding. It was fun. The excellent guest. Now, here's the thing I have to tell you, though. When you did your one night only talk show, yes. uh, Bill Lawrence Tonight Nightly, yes. uh, <laughs> and it was, let's face it, the best, it was one best of TV that people have ever seen. That people have never seen. Yeah. It was, people, Jimmy Fallon, who had been watching from, was just like, fuck, I'm out of a job. Yeah. Kim looked, he was like, I'm out of a Everyone was out of a Fucked. No one's ever going to watch anything else. And you walked out, people carrying you on, on, on your, their shoulders. You said, no, no, I'll walk. And you stepped out into the back lot and a tore. By a tram, hit by a tram, a tram for God's sake. Tram hit you, right? 
hard as well. Yeah. And it was and it was a tram that was escaping one of those fucking like King Kong displays. Yes. And uh, it's properly splattered you. Oh yeah, back. and people thought it was an effect at first. People thought it was an effect. People were it was cheering. So realistic. Yeah. <laughs> people were cheering. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon came out. He went, "Yes, I've still got a job." And uh, and then they. Anyway, I turned up and I was like, listen, guys, that wasn't a trick. He's fucking, you've just killed Bill Lawrence. This is terrible. <laughs> what are we going to do with the Bill Lawrence Tonight nightly show? And then, anyway, we managed to pick up the pieces, but you were properly splattered everywhere. Sure, sure. Embedded. So we've got bits of tarmac and stuff in all sorts of pieces. We get all the bits of you that we can get, but there's more of you than there was of you because you're stuck to bits. I understand. Stuff you in the coffin, but... The it's absolutely rammed in there now because there's more than you than we expected, yeah. right? There's no room in this coffin. There's only enough room to slide one DVD in the side that you can take with you on the other side. And on the other side, there's movie night every night. And one night, it's your movie night. What film are you going to take with you to show to everyone when it's your movie night? I would probably... There's a bunch of films I've already mentioned, but I didn't want to pick one that I already mentioned. So Good. I think I have to go back because you would not be surprised for me to tell you that I was in a fraternity in college and that I spent some times in country clubs when I was a kid. Right. And those two things added together mean that you should probably be able to do the movie Caddyshack line for line. And I can do the movie Caddyshack line for line. <laughs> and uh, uh, not only do I think it still holds up, yeah. but as a guy that thinks that uh, Bill Murray is one of the preeminent comedians of my lifetime, yeah. um, knowing that you know he kind of just made up a good... 50% of the stuff that he was saying and that, you know, whether they were just giving him a, uh, a weed cutter and telling him to, you know, <laughs> yeah. 84 Augusta, you know, and uh, 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 I would show people that over and over and make a game out of, uh, um, we're not going to stop watching it till we can all do the dialogue without watching it. You are going to be keeping people busy. This is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bill Lawrence, you have been wonderful. Is there anything you would like to tell people other than to watch Whiskey Cavalier? Which no, man. Just uh, uh, it's the best time in the world to watch TV. To find me on social media and tell me what I should be watching. You know, it's really interesting. We've reached a time that I can't believe we've gotten to where there's actually good shows and movies that I haven't heard of. Isn't that, yeah, fucking, isn't that yeah. so weird? Too much. Too it's much. so weird. Yeah. Somebody turned me on to this thing, Pen15, Yeah, oh, fuck, that's day. good. I saw I've never that. seen either of those two women. It's so good. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill Lawrence, happy death. Uh, thank you for being so generous with your time. Of course. It's so brilliant. Everything I goes my way. It. Everything <laughs> goes your way. Even this death. Uh, <laughs> goodbye. So that was episode 35. Please head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein to access the extra 20 minutes of chat with Bill and help support the show and get guest list tickets and recommendations and all that stuff. And if you do enjoy this show, please subscribe and give it five stars and a nice review for the simple reason that apparently it helps our numbers, means more people get to hear it, I can keep making it, you can keep listening to it, etc, etc, until we all die. Thank you to Bill for doing this. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it, to Acast for hosting it, and to Adam Richardson for the graphics. And thank you all for listening. Next week's homework is to watch all of The Good Place and follow all of her amazing activism work because my guest next week is Jamila Jamil. You lucky people! Thank you for listening. Have a lovely week and please be excellent to each other.
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.